listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. I'm glad you're able to join us again for this episode of uh, Let the Bible Speak. I wonder, have you ever thought about the church prayer meeting? Does your church hold a season whereby the people can come together and pray and seek the face of God? If not, why not? And if they do, what do you pray for? Who prays? And what is the, the spirit in those seasons of prayer? The church prayer meeting is a very important part of church life. We understand that because of the teaching of the Word of God. And again, we must let the Bible speak when we ask questions regarding such an enterprise. I want to look at some of those questions today as we consider what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, reading together from the verse number 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will of all men to be saved and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Amen. May God bless his word. Let's bow together for a brief prayer as we ask for the Lord's help as we study the word of God again today. Eternal God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God that speaks to our hearts, speaks to our hearts individually and also gives us direction regarding our conduct as members of the body of Christ. We pray for those listening today. We pray for those, O oh Lord, who are members of churches, that you would give them direction and clarity of thought, as the word of God would speak to their context. Help us, O oh Lord, to uh, simply come humbly before the word of God. And may the word of God speak to your souls, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In some books of the Bible, we are given direct insight into the reason they were written. For example, in John's Gospel, in the chapter 20, he tells us in the verse 31, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, John is writing so that his readers will come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing they might have life in his name. Similarly, John, in his first epistle, says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And so first John is written to help believers unto assurance of eternal life. And so in First Timothy, we have a very clear word of, uh, of, of reason from the apostle as to why he writes. In chapter 3, in the verse 14, Paul says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. 
Paul is suggesting that his coming to see Timothy and to see the church in Ephesus has been delayed. But as he tarries, then he is writing this letter so that Timothy could instruct the church as to the proper conduct and behavior in the house of God. Paul is intent on coming, but he wants to set things in order whilst that coming is delayed. And in this chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, he addresses the issue of public prayer. And what we will see will address private prayer and should impact private prayer, but chiefly the instruction of the apostle respects the church gathering together for public prayer. In our day, we have to reassert that public prayer is an important aspect of church life, that it is something that has been neglected, that sadly there are many churches that have completely done away with the gathering for public prayer. Now, some would cite Matthew chapter 6, where the Lord says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now the Lord clearly is addressing there the problem with hypocrisy in public prayer. Now there were those who loved to engage in public prayer, but they had no private relationship with the Lord. But the Lord's instructions here regarding the abuse of public prayer does not direct the removal of such seasons of prayer. And the language of verse 8 of 1 Timothy 2 indicates that this prayer is being offered in the setting of other people. Verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In this verse he addresses adult males. The word for men that he uses is distinct from the word for men used elsewhere. We are familiar with the word anthropos, anthropology, that sort of thing. And that's used earlier in this chapter. But when you get to verse number 8, Paul is using a word for adult males. And if he is focusing on adult males, well, and surely he's singling them out because there are women also in attendance. And we'll say more of that uh, later on. But it would seem that as he's encouraging men to pray everywhere, that he has in mind the public assembly of the church, in which assemblies there are seasons of public prayer. You see, public prayer is not just the duty of the pastor or the minister. Verse 8, Paul is telling all of the men, and not just Timothy, that they are to pray everywhere. This exhortation is pervasive across the church. And thus I believe that prayer times are in view here. The church meeting for prayer, undoubtedly on the Lord's Day, but also more than likely on other days of the week when the people would come together and seek the face of God. So if our churches are neglecting public times of prayer, they are doing so in the face of clear instructions in the Word of God to gather for such assemblies. And thus churches who have neglected public prayer, they are not walking in the will of God. And perhaps this is a time for repentance and reformation in our church lives. Let's begin by thinking about the content of our public prayer. There are four words given in verse number one that give some direction as to what makes up the content of our prayers. Paul says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. 
There's a similar division given by Paul in Philippians chapter 4, where he says there, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. Now there are various ideas that flow from these four words that are used. Supplications refer to your burdens. It refers to the activity of humbly and fervently beseeching God for particular needs. Prayers, that's a more general word for worship. It is restricted to approaching God in prayer and in that atmosphere of worship and praise. Intercessions, well that speaks of praying for others. Christ, of course, is our great interceder and he intercedes on our behalf. And so intercession speaks of prayers that are made on behalf of others. Giving of thanks is the fourth term that's used. And that indicates that all things are prayed for with a thankful heart. That we recognize the blessings of God and we give thanks to God as the source of those blessings. And of course, there are some very significant lessons regarding our prayer meetings. That we are to approach God believingly fervently, reverently. We are to pray, we are to worship God as we gather for public prayer. We are to bring our supplications, we are to bring supplications for ourselves and of course for others. And in all of this we are to do so with a thankful heart. We must remember that in all of these things, all of these words are God-focused. One of the troubles that afflicts churches that do gather for public prayer is that those who lead in such prayer can find themselves praying to man and not to God. Those prayers can be used used inappropriately to make points towards other members of the church. They can be used to preach sermons, prayers. They're not, they're not a time for preaching sermons. That's a time to pray to God. And we, we must remember that as we gather for public prayer, that we are praying to the living God, the God of heaven. So that's something regarding the content of our public prayer. What about the consideration in our public prayers? We've already noticed that intercession has others in view. And so Paul states that our prayers must be made for all men. The word all that's used in verse number one is one of the instances of this word, not referring to all men without exception, but all men without exclusion. It would make no sense for Paul to command that we pray for all men who live on this earth. It's clear that he's referring to praying for all sorts of men, all men without exclusion, not all men without exception. You see, prayer will arise out of a heart that feels for the needs of those around us. A cold, compassionless heart will never truly pray. And one of the foundational needs with respect to our prayer meetings is for God to touch our hearts with a burden and concern for one another and also for others outside our church assemblies. It is a lamentable situation that, as I said, there are so many churches that are neglecting public prayer. And it would suggest, at least in part, that there's a lack of burden for the needs of those in our communities. It is vital that we do not pray just for ourselves or even for our own church or for our own denominations. But we pray for all men, regardless of their uh, culture, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their language, regardless of their social status, that we pray for all sorts of men. What a burden it is. What a challenge it is that we would have hearts that would be concerned for the well-being of those around us. Prayers being made for all men. 
And that leads to a third matter in our study today, and that is the concern in our public prayers. Having thought about praying for all men in general, Paul exhorts prayer for a particular group. Verse 2, he says, For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, it may well be that Paul specifies this group because they were especially neglected. Having given the exhortation that we're to pray for all men, it would seem likely that he's drawing attention to a particular group that are neglected in the public assemblies for prayer. We think about the requirement here of praying for authorities. The requirement that Paul gives to Timothy is still applicable today. Sometimes we are guilty of failing to listen to this command in the Word of God, that we neglect to pray publicly for our authority as as we ought. Politics is undoubtedly a thorny subject. There are differences of opinions within any church assembly. There are different lines of party allegiance. But that particular difficulty is not an excuse for neglect and praying for authorities. There may be misunderstanding. If you pray for a particular president, then people may think that you are showing your political allegiance. But whoever the president is, whoever the state governor is, and all manner of other authorities, whoever they are, and whatever whatever your view of how they got there, we are to pray for them. Now, it is worth remembering that this prayer does not require that we agree with the authorities politically. There are people who rule in local and state-level government and other levels who propagate an abortion agenda, who deny the Bible's teaching regarding marriage. We don't agree with them and their stances politically, but yet we are still obligated to pray for them. It's worth remembering that in Timothy's day, none of the authorities were godly. Yes, there were Christians of influence, as Paul would instruct us in Philippians chapter 4. There were those of Caesar's household, so there were Christians of influence in the political uh, arena. But the authorities themselves were were not marked by faith in the saving uh, work of Christ. And so Paul is telling Timothy to pray for the Caesars and the Neros of his day, men who were marked by ungodliness, and yet... Paul tells Timothy, you make sure and pray for them. And the reason for this requirement is very simple. Authorities have an influence on society that can either hinder or help Christian living. Paul says, you are to pray for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. The Bible shows us that it is God's will that the governing authorities ought to reward righteousness and punish wickedness. Today we live in days of such confusion where evil is called good and good is called evil, but it is the obligation of governing authorities to reward righteousness and to punish wickedness. It's also God's will that Christians lead and live what we might call an ordinary life, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Christians should be careful for desiring a more exciting life, It is God's will that we simply go about our business as the children of God, leading that quiet and peaceable life, sharing the gospel with others. 
that life is marked by godliness. Godliness requires a freedom to practice religion. Governing authorities must ensure that we have that freedom to practice true religion. This life is also marked by honesty. That involves a freedom to love our neighbour in integrity and righteousness. And so what we see in this second verse of 1 Timothy chapter 2 is that we're to pray for the governing authorities so that Christians can enjoy freedom to practice their religion and freedom to love their neighbour in integrity and righteousness. And thus, it is important that we remind ourselves, even in our public times of prayer as churches, that we remind ourselves of the need to pray for those in authority. And that is absolutely essential today. Undoubtedly, there are many of us who are concerned regarding our ongoing freedoms. Freedom to love in the way of righteousness. That we are being forced to redefine integrity and forced to redefine what is upright in the sight of God. We want freedom to love properly and we want freedom to practice our religion. And to that end, let us keep praying for those in authority. That they would understand their obligation and they would understand their duties and that they they would act in a manner that is indeed for the well-being of the people of God. That's an honourable prayer. But as we finish our study today, let me take some time to think about the conduct in our public prayers. We've seen the content. We are to bring supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks. We've seen that consideration is for all men, and there's a particular concern for those in authority. But as Paul would round out this conversation regarding public prayer, he gives some instruction regarding conduct. Just by way of explanation for the Bible study, verses 3 through 7 of 1 Timothy 2 act as a parenthesis arising out of the thoughts of godliness and honesty, and we'll return to those in our next broadcast. But in verse number 8, Paul gives a concluding word on the instruction regarding prayer. He's mentioned prayer in verse number 1 and 2, and then in verse 8 he says again, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We see that Paul has participants in mind when it comes to public prayer, and yes, he has men especially in view. The word that is used here, I've said, speaks of adult meals. And they are to take the lead in public, audible prayer. Now, I don't believe this excludes women from being involved in church prayer meetings. Again, there are various churches and there'll be differences of opinions regarding these matters. We know from Acts chapter 1 verse 14 that women were present in the upper room as the early disciples met for prayer. It says there, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And so therefore, undoubtedly, there, there were women involved in the early church prayer meetings. We also know from 1 Corinthians 11 that the head covering is required as women would pray and prophesy in public assembly. And so, whilst Paul highlights the responsibility of adult men to lead in prayer, uh, it would seem that it's making the text say too much to then exclude women from prayer meetings because of this text. But I suggest that Paul is highlighting the men due to their neglect. In verse number 9, Paul will 
he'll bring some words to bear to the woman regarding their modesty. Now, that, that does not mean that men were allowed to be immodest. And so, in a similar fashion, Paul highlights the man's responsibility in prayer in verse 8 without neglecting the need for women to pray also. But clearly the men are to lead in the church. And that must also be so in the place of prayer. These men must be holy men. That's what it says, lifting up holy hands. They are men who've been saved by the grace of God, sanctified men. Oh, we understand, we believe that men are only made holy by the work of Christ. And as we come to the cross and our sins are forgiven, then we are set apart for a holy use. Holy men set apart to pray to God, to have that important role in society, calling upon God for authorities, praying for all men. What a privilege it is to be involved in corporate prayer. All men, as opposed to the Old Testament, where there were some men in the temple who had the privilege of leading in the priestly office. But now in the New Testament, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we all have access to God in prayer. Oh, what a challenge it is. And men, men listening today, I, I urge you, this is God's word. And I exhort you on the authority of God's word, be what you ought to be in the house of God and lead in the place of prayer. Lead in calling upon God for the needs of this day. Oh, what a responsibility. But yes, what a privilege it is that the veil has been rent in twain as Christ hung upon the tree and with access into the throne room of God, we can come to that throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. And so Paul is highlighting the participants in this prayer. He also highlights the practice. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, this matter of lifting up the hands is a matter of posture. In the Bible, posture is always referred to in light of a reflection of what the heart was experiencing. Lifting up the hands is used as a metaphor for prayer in Psalm 141. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And there's a parallel there between prayer and the lifting up of the hands. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The lifting up of the hands reflects a posture of supplication and worship. And humility is understanding that we are those who come humbly before God, uh, those in need of God's grace and God's blessing. And so in our practicing of prayer, our posture is to reflect the heart that we have of absolute dependence upon the Lord. Uh, the tragedy of churches that have neglect public prayer meeting is the suggestion that they believe they can do church without God, that they can organize church. They can conduct assemblies, but yet they have not sought the Lord for the Lord's blessing. What a tragedy it is that we would seek to do church and seek to live in society without realizing our dependence upon the Lord for his grace. Finally, we note that Paul gives some prohibitions. He says that these prayers should be without wrath and doubting. 
Wrath speaks of contentions. Prayer meetings are sometimes, sadly, they are places for men to express their contentions with others. But sometimes in the church, prayer meeting divisions can surface, opinions can rise, brother can knock down brother. That is not how the church should pray. It should be without wrath, without contentions, without divisions. And that is because unity in prayer is so important. In the book of Acts, we read of many occasions where the church pray with one accord, with one mind, one soul, one spirit. There is unity and it is as we pray together that we agree on earth as touching those things that are according to the will of God. And God hears our prayers. We trust the Lord and would give us seasons of unified prayers, times without wrath and without doubting. That speaks of unbelieving. We ask without faith and we receive not. We are to pray believing that God is and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We need God to come by his spirit and create faith in our hearts. And as the spirit of God comes in our premings and we believe, then we call upon God believing, yes, believing that he is, but also believing that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The gathering of a church for prayer is founded upon the understanding that we believe God hears and answers prayer, and that prayer is an important part of God's providential outworking of society, and that as God's people gather together to pray, it has a beneficial effect on the whole society. It has the effect of men being converted, that God hears prayers and answers those prayers, and sinners are brought to saving faith in Christ. It also is the benefit of society, that as we pray for the wider society, God hears those prayers and for the sake of his people answers those prayers. Oh, what a privilege it is to be saved by God's grace. And those who are saved by God's grace, they're, they're given a heart to pray in the presence of God. I, I encourage you, if your church has neglected public prayer, you should go to your church leaders. Ask them why why the church does not gather together for seasons of prayer. And if your church does gather for prayer and you're not part of that, you make sure you become part of that prayer meeting. That you do all you can to be there whenever you can to lay hold upon God together with your fellow brothers and sisters. It is one of the blessings of the gospel that we have this access to the throne of grace. And that access is not just for us individually, it also is for us as a corporate body. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.